NASCAR has a new $7.7 billion rights deal. Insider intelligence says cord cutters dominate in the US. TikTok is challenging YouTube and smart TVs grow in importance. Listen in to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and uh, Colin Dixon from End Screen Media is with me and we were on break last week due to Thanksgiving. Colin, how's everything in your world? Great. So I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope hope you had the same. Yeah. Yeah. Too much turkey as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, not so much not so much turkey in my house, but uh, we had a great time saw family and friends and I am uh, looking forward to the longer holiday at the end of December already. Absolutely. Well, for today's podcast, we have a uh, another around the horn, as we call it, um, four stories that caught our attention this week. And um, I think I am going to get us started, right? You are with NASCAR. Yes, indeed. So, uh, of course, we have talked about sports many, many times on Inside the Stream. And um, what hit both of our radar this week is that NASCAR has wrapped up its media rights deals for a reported $7.7 billion. Uh, That would be a 40% increase over its current uh, deals. And these deals would be with are with I should say Fox Sports, NBC, Peacock, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Amazon coming in, and the deals run from 2025 through 2031. It really just kind of looking at the way that the um, announcement reads and how the different cup races are going to be spread over the four different media partners. It looks like Fox is going to get the first 14 races and then um, Amazon is going to kick in with five races. That'll be the first time that uh, NASCAR will be on Amazon. Then the next five are going to go to Warner Brothers Discovery and those will be on both TNT and also on the Bleacher Report sports tier that's on the Max streaming service and then rounding out the season nbc sports will have the last 14 races of the uh, season that i think compares with this past year where fox had 18 races and nbc had the other 20. so um, nascar is uh, breaking up the rights over both the traditional pay tv and streaming with this new deal, $7.7 billion, pretty impressive, uh, particularly in an environment where cord cutting continues unabated and sports, as we've talked about, uh, we're going to come under some pressure uh, in terms of being able to renew their rights deals. But NASCAR looks like a real bright spot. What do you think, Kyle? It does, Will, and it's interesting. Pretty much every sports deal, every every announcement about sports always now seems to involve a streaming component, and uh, NASCAR is no different. Uh, but I got to say, Will, NASCAR must really hate their audience. I, I was <laughs> this the way these races are spread out across services. 
If you're a NASCAR fan and you are going to want to watch all of these, you are going to need a subscription to Amazon Prime. You're going to need a subscription to traditional pay TV. You're also going to need a subscription to Peacock. And you will need a subscription to Max and the Bleacher Report app, the uh, tier rather, within Max. This is incredibly expensive now for the fans of NASCAR. I, you know, splitting them up like this is sure it's good for their sponsorship deal. They get a bunch of money, but boy, I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, how pleased are you going to be going to be about this? Yeah, I, I hear you. The fragmentation of the rights over these four different parties, uh, to your point, is going to mean managing multiple subscriptions. And um, and uh, and also, you know, paying paying for all of them. That that's right. And uh, we did a a, um, a story about MLS's deal with Apple. That is beginning to look like a fantastic deal for MLS fans, right? Well, because you just need to be subscribed to a single service, and you get everything. And boy. <sighs> I, I just, I don't know, this NASCAR deal just makes me really shake my head. Um, it does put me in mind of another deal that was announced this week. Well, well it wasn't really a deal. It was the move by a Tennis Channel. So Tennis Channel uh, been a stalwart part of the traditional pay TV bundle for quite a while. Well, they announced that they will be doing a direct-to-consumer service starting in 2024. And so I, I suppose this is just a sign of the times, right? But the unique thing here is that they say that they will include a live feed of the cable channel. So they are simulcasting the traditional pay TV cable channel as part of this tennis channel direct to consumer service. And they're taking this pretty serious. They've hired uh, PBS Digital's uh, former head, Matt Graham, to head up their direct-to-consumer and streaming business. And I got to say, well, this, this is a matter of survival, I think, now for any channel that is completely reliant on traditional cable TV or traditional pay TV. They really need to be thinking about moving into streaming now in a big way because, as we'll probably get, as we're going to get to in just a little bit, the ten percent or more losses in subscribers every year is really now beginning to eat into their revenue through advertising and through, of course, the the fees that they get for the license fees that they get from the pay TV operators. So, you know, Tennis Channel. This is what we're going to see a lot more of, I think. Right, and that I think uh, segues into some research that you are going to discuss from uh, Insider Intelligence, right, Colin? That's right, and uh, this really relates to the decline in pay TV subscribers. Insider Intelligence uh, put out uh, some research that said that by the end of 2023, the number of cord cutters will exceed the number of traditional TV service users for the first time. And 
Well, this sort of had me raise my eyebrows a little bit. And the reason it did, Will, was because by my calculations, that's already happened. But let me run over the the numbers that they gave. They said uh, that the number of pay TV customers will drop uh, 10.2% this year. No argument there. Uh, to 121.1 million. So they're really talking about people that are using pay television now, or I guess have access to pay television. And they say the number of non-pay TV customers will climb climb 12.5% to 144.1 million. And the company says that by 2027, the number of people using Services like Netflix and Hulu will grow to 182 million and traditional pay TV viewers will fall to 91.3 million. Now, we normally talk about households here. And uh, my assumption is that the penetration of pay TV, traditional pay TV is roughly equivalent to the penetration of the population, right? So it's certainly going to have a strong relationship. And... So anyway, I I like Bruce Leishman. I track the number of homes that have traditional pay TV. And as I say, by my calculations, Will, this happened, the the number of people without pay TV uh, outnumbered the number that that have it back in Q1. And today, I think it's like 45% of occupied homes in the US have a traditional pay TV subscription. Uh, So that's well below half. And if you wrap in the virtual MVPDs, which you may want to because, you know, strictly speaking, virtual MVPDs are just pay TV, traditional pay TV operators, but just using the Internet. The equation changes a little bit. Then you get 56 percent of occupied homes currently still have a virtual MVPD or a traditional pay TV. So by my calculations at least, people with a virtual MVPD or a traditional pay TV won't fall below 50% until probably 2025, early 2025 by my calculations. That's of course assuming that things will carry on the way they are and I certainly don't see any reason why they won't. And the reason I've thrown the virtual MVPDs into the mix, Will, is because they're talking about cord cutters. So insider intelligence says calls them cord cutters. And you're not really a cord cutter if you switch from a traditional pay TV operator to a virtual MVPD. You're really getting the same service. So, you know, you can sort of look at this in two ways. If you're talking about traditional pay TV, insider intelligence is right, but it's already happened. It happened back in Q1. But if you're talking about people with a pay TV, traditional pay TV or virtual MVPD, it hasn't happened yet and probably won't happen until 2025. That's when the penetration of the total penetration of those services falls below 50%. Sign of the times, I think, Will. Absolutely, sign of the times. And I agree with your point that um, those with a virtual uh, pay TV provider should not be considered cord cutters. So I think you're right that the, you know, in, incorporating that broader definition of 
homes that take a, a pay TV um, service of any kind uh, sounds like they're still above the 50% level. And as you said, not likely to fall below until um, perhaps 2025. So, yeah. but no doubt, sign of the time, streaming um, very strong and pay TV continuing to decline. I, I think so, Will. And now I'll, I'll note one other thing. And in case you're sitting there thinking, oh, well, this is it, uh, you know, tradition, uh, traditional TVs on the way out in the US. I just want to throw in a note about over-the-air antenna users. And this, the numbers I'm seeing here actually suggest to me that a lot of people will continue to use their antenna for quite a while. And the reason I've got two two big reasons for that. Um, reason number one is it's pretty clear with the success of Pluto TV that people still like linear TV. They still like that format. They're still finding plenty of reasons to use that in their daily life. And like Pluto, over the air antennas gives you free TV. So and you know major metropolitan markets. There's still a lot of a lot of uh, t- channels that can be watched through an antenna. Uh, the other, re- Another reason why I think we're going to see traditional TV hang around for quite a long time is the RSNs. It's one of the things the, uh, the regional sports networks are leveraging to help reach their local audience. And it makes great sense, right? Because these, these folks are uh, broadcasting, they're, they're in local areas. And so they can work with local broadcasters to continue to, to reach their audience. So there's that. And the third reason is Next Gen TV. Now, we've not really talked very much about this on the podcast, but we're in the process of an upgrade of the traditional broadcast medium from ATSC 1.0 to ATSC 3.0. And it's going pretty well. Uh, There's been some pretty big bumps in the road this year. There have been some patent disputes and some problems with channel encryption that's made it difficult for people to watch. And actually one TV manufacturer, because of this patent dispute, says that they're not going to include the next-gen uh, receiver in their TVs anymore. So these are bumps in the road, I think. Eventually they'll get worked out and I think we'll see um, antenna usage continue to modestly rise. According to Nielsen, about 14.5% of US homes actually use an antenna. And so that's 18 million homes. And I think we'll probably see that continue to, to sort of rise fairly slowly. So bottom line here is even if traditional cable or maybe i should say even when traditional cable goes away and it certainly seems to be on a on a pretty steep decline at the moment i don't think we'll see traditional tv disappearing anytime soon because i fully anticipate antenna tv sticking around for a long time to come yeah pretty amazing to think uh, uh what you said 14 and a half percent of homes still 14 and a half percent of homes still taking um tv via an antenna yeah it's amazing isn't it Incredible. yeah and yeah. and and the great thing about next gen tv will is that it's actually works a little better with antennas so it it's not um you know one of the problems with an antenna is until indoor antennas very often don't work very well yeah but next gen tv should work a lot better with those indoor antennas uh 
needs a little bit less energy to get a decent picture i think so you know that's that's all to the good i think you gotta love free tv gotta love free tv okay well let's uh let's move to our next story con we're going to shift gears here a little bit um i'm going to take this one and uh, we have talked about youtube and TikTok many times uh, on the podcast and an article in media post caught my attention this week because uh, it reported that TikTok is um, trying to induce many of its creators to create longer videos and do so primarily so that it can insert more ads against them on the platform. Um, Media Post said that dozens of creators were invited to uh, TikTok's offices and um, they said that uh, users are now spending the quote is users are now spending half their time on the app watching content that's longer than a minute. And over the last six months, creators who post videos longer than a minute have experienced five times the growth rate in number of followers um, versus those who only post short videos. So TikTok is trying to make a strong case to its creators that it is worth their while to create longer videos and that of course moves them more into youtube's domain and in the meantime of course youtube has been moving more into TikTok's domain by promoting youtube shorts for its creators and also among users so uh, i think here we have a, a battle of really two big two giants two big giants um, in in the mobile video and the creator economy world. And it looks like TikTok is uh, trying to make a play to now claim some of uh, YouTube's traditional turf, just as YouTube has been trying to claim some of TikTok's uh, traditional turf. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? And it, I mean, it totally makes sense. One of the things that we know, of course, is the longer the video, the more ads that people see. And that makes a lot of sense for them. But you know, this puts me in mind, Will, I, I wonder if this means that TikTok is also going to make a play for the TV. YouTube has been tremendously successful on television. Uh, it is being watched now as much as or more than Netflix on television. And it, of course, one of the things we know for sure is that we get much better engagement on television than you do on a on a on a mobile platform like a smartphone so if they're really chasing engagement and they can get their tiktokers to create longer videos i think they're going to have to be on tv and that will and that in turn will help drive much longer viewing times and increase their revenue there too so i think it's not just a format thing that they're probably going to end up chasing YouTube onto TV and see if they can build up a lot of viewership there too, wouldn't you say? I think that's probably right. Maybe in the longer term, short term, TikTok has had uh, continued to have huge growth. Um, you know, it's really a mobile mobile first platform, and um, uh, remains, I think, to be seen how aggressively they go after TV. But to your point. Um, YouTube demonstrates a, a clear success story in being able to migrate from desktop and mobile onto TV, CTV. So 
TikTok has kind of a roadmap there. Um, not sure we'll see that anytime in the very near future, but certainly worth keeping an eye on. Right, and it'd be interesting to see if they also start encouraging their uh, their creators to switch from portrait to landscape mode. Right. Yeah. That would be key because if they do ask them to do that then that, that's a much better format for the television and will make it much more engaging on TV than, than, it, than it currently would be. And that's one of the problems I've actually found with YouTube shorts on TV is they're there and they're just not very satisfying to watch because most of them, many of them are made in portrait mode and it just, it's just not interesting to really... Uh, yeah. It doesn't fill the screen and it's not, just inter- it's not interesting to watch. Agree. I think it's a great point. Yep. Yep. So I, I think the last thing I wanted to talk about, Will, was some great new data from Hub, Hub Entertainment Research that they put out this week, which sort of talks about the influence of built-in smart TV apps on people's viewing habits. Um, before we get there, I just want to say a couple of things about how things are changing uh, it, it, with us, with us viewers. And I think what's really happened over the last five years, Will, is the emphasis has switched from streaming sticks and boxes, uh, you know, like a Roku stick or the Roku uh, set-top box. It's really switched from that to smart TVs. And this is partly due to the fact that just most of the TVs now that you buy uh, are smart they're just going to be smart that's going to be built into you i think i saw data showing that 70 or 80 percent of the tvs that folks like samsung and lg ship now are smart tvs so you're going to get a smart tv the next time you buy uh, and they do a pretty damn good job leading you through getting hooked up to wi-fi so that it's able to stream directly and that's kind of important for them because they have these built-in fast services now so that helps drive usage of those built-in services. So this switch from using uh, t- traditional, uh, u- using streaming sticks and boxes to using a smart TV, I think has been one of the biggest changes that we've seen in the market. And in fact, looking at Bruce Leishman's numbers, he says 88% of TV homes have a connected TV now and 74% have a connected smart TV and 62 percent a connected tv device so you can see that that we've already sort of shifted much much more towards smart tvs well what the hub data shows is that the built-in tv apps on your smart tv are tremendously influential in getting you to watch them what they found was a third of viewers now say that the first place they turn is to a smart TV app, a built-in smart TV app when they're ready to watch. And they say that that is a 50% increase in just two years. So this really parallels this switch to our emphasis as as a viewer on the smart TV interface rather than a streaming stick or box. And the rise of these built-in apps that, that we're, now, we're now getting as part and parcel of whatever TV we purchase. So I think this is tremendously important. If you're a content provider, this is tremendously important. 
being installed on the box on the TV when it is shipped to somebody's home is critical and just as critical is being above the fold so that you're easily seen as soon as they've got connected. And the third thing that's critical is having a channel with your content in the built-in fast service because all of those things uh, help the user find your content. And this data from Hub really just reinforces how powerful the the built-in smart TV apps are in helping people find content. And, and the real punchline here from Hub is that not only is it important, it makes that app be, is much more likely to be kept when people start looking to save money. They say, if you default to a service, you are much more likely to say it's the one you would keep. So that third of people that go straight to one of these built-in apps on their smart TV are much more likely to keep that app when they start to, to want to save money. So pretty interesting data really focuses on how important the smart TV OS has become in people discovering content to watch. Yeah, that's a great, I think that's a great summary, Colin. And, um, you know, two points that you made uh, really stood out for me. One is the idea that apps be, as you put it, above the fold. I think maybe another way of putting that is to be on the first page of the um, screen uh, of the guide to, to the different apps. It just seems almost analogous to me of being in the first results page on a Google search because um, a vast number of people are only going to go that far. They're not going to go any further. And the other is to be part of the channel guide for uh, you know grid service. Being a part of that and making sure that you're discoverable seems also like an essential part of uh, being successful in this uh, world where there's just a gazillion different apps and niche services that are available. So um, good stuff from Hub, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very good. And maybe maybe we'll reach out to John and see if we can get John Geigengack on. Uh, again, to talk about some of their data, maybe we'll maybe we'll do that in the next couple of weeks and uh, see if you see if you'll come and talk to us about some of the data. It'd be a good conversation, I think. But you know what? We've probably covered enough ground for today, Will. We have indeed. So, Colin, good chatting, and uh, thanks everyone for listening in on this week's Inside the Stream. And we will see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.